Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForest. And I'm Victoria Banks. It's season three, and we've got so many wonderful conversations and creators of all kinds to share with you. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy, because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't, don't let them stop Kelly Archer hails from the beautiful Pacific Northwest of Canada and has been a signed writer in Nashville for the past 20 years. Kelly's songs have been recorded by Jason Aldean, Brett Young, Justin Moore, Travis Denning, Reba, Trisha Yearwood, Eli Youngvan, Dustin Lynch, Jody Messina, Montgomery Gentry, Cassidy Pope, Lindsay L., Natalie Hemby, and Chris Lane in the U.S., and Megan Patrick, Tyler Joe Miller, Tebby, Jess Moskluk, Sean Austin, Matt Lang, The Washboard Union, and many more in Canada. Kelly has had several songs placed in the series Nashville, and she received the AIMP Rising Songwriter of the Year Award in 2017. Kelly celebrated her first number one song with Brett Young's Sleep Without You, her second number one with Justin Moore's Somebody Else Will, and recently her third number one with Travis Denning's After a Few. We are so excited to introduce you to hit country songwriter, Kelly Archer. We have Kelly Archer in the house today. We're so excited to have you, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Super happy to be here. Thanks for asking. A fellow Canadian. Woohoo! Yes. I know. <laughs> we actually just released a couple episodes that tie in perfectly to talking with you. Um, we did some recaps, some updates, some fan questions, and we also answered our own um, our own rapid fire questions, which were a lot harder than even we expected. And we came up with them and listened to them all the time. Um, and we're really excited to talk to you because you have such a unique experience as a 20 plus year professional songwriter in Nashville and country music. Um, and before we dive into all of that, can you give us a little breakdown on how your career started and how you got here? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I got into this business very uh, happenstance-like, I would, I would call it. I always loved music. My dad owned a country bar when I was a kid, country cabaret to be exact. It was called Diamond Lills. It was on the corner of East Hastings and I can't even remember the cross street right now. But anyways... A main part of downtown Vancouver, and we grew up in the suburbs, but I spent my Saturdays, you know, picking up swizzle sticks and playing video games and shooting pool and, and helping, you know, my dad with all the chores of the business until he sold it when I was about 12. And so I was introduced to country music through that pretty young. So I was the nerdy kid whose favorite singer was Kenny Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> at a very young age and then my parents had really eclectic taste like we listened to everything from CCR to like uh, Tom Jones and Frank Sinatra and very different kinds of music growing up so I just loved music in general and then in high school I did some theater and loved that um, but then you know, came time that I graduated high school and I had no interest in going to college. Mm -hmm. I did not like 
my if you follow the Enneagram, my Enneagram one was very anti the system of grading people. <laughs> What's your number? Um, I didn't I, Enneagram one, oh, okay. which is an nice. odd one for creatives. Yeah. But I really hated the thought of being graded when I didn't think that was very accurate to test people's smarts because I played yeah. sports and I did arts and I did really well in school. I got a scholarship, but I used it to go to tech, uh, take some classes at a night tech school, um, took a recording engineering, took a publishing course. Um, and then my dad was like, well, if you're not going to school, you better get a job. So I got a job as a teller at a bank and I really didn't know what I was going to do. I was still wanted to do something in the arts, but it seemed a little bit of a of a a dream to make money at it mm-hmm. um, and I hadn't started writing yet, and I was going to a church at a time where they we were doing some father's day service, and there was no happy father's day songs <laughs> so I decided that I was going to rewrite the lyrics to Reba McIntyre's greatest man I never knew. And I rewrote to Greatest Man I Ever Knew. Hmm. Same melody, but just rewrote the lyrics in a very positive, uplifting way. And somebody said to me afterwards, like, did you rewrite those lyrics? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, that was really good. And I was like, really? Hmm. And that was literally, you know, in I was probably 19 or 20 years old when that happened. And suddenly I was like, well, maybe I can write a song. So I started, I picked up a guitar and I started you know, uh, learning a few chords and started writing a little bit and very much on a whim, uh, it was like, well, let's go to the, where's, where do they do songwriting? Okay. Nashville. So I saved up a bunch of money. I quit my job at the bank and I got in my little 1988 Mazda 323 hatchback on January 7th of 2001 I didn't know a soul, and I just drove to Nashville, and it was a nice little 3,000-mile drive <laughs> with no cell phone. Oh, wow. Yeah, and a AAA uh, flip map. Yes, the triptych. The triptych, <laughs> and at the time, I didn't have a cell phone. It was just kind of new uh, that you would carry a phone around with you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I had a couple you know, mental breakdowns, as you can imagine, just out of fear But I remember very much like I bought a bunch of CDs to kind of keep me awake on the drive. One of the CDs that I bought was Rascal Flatts CD. I I don't know if the title of the actual CD is Praying for Daylight, but it was that album. And I just remember being somewhere between Oregon and California on my second day and having a bit of a panic attack in the car. I'm like, what did I do? I quit my job. (laughs) I don't know anybody. I have only written like a handful of songs, like, you know, terrified a little bit. Mm -hmm. And at the very end of that CD, there's a song that D. Vincent Williams and Philip White wrote called I'm Moving On. Mm -hmm. And the song came on and it was like instant, you know, bawling. It felt like Mm -hmm. a, like this, like the mean, the... The effect that lyrics and music can have yeah. like hit me like a wave with that song. Yeah. And I listened to it for like two hours straight and I felt like, okay, take the chance, take the chance, take the chance. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so I rented a, a room in 
in Bellevue and started going to anything that was free. <laughs> I just started wandering around, just going to every like NSAI free class, ASCAP free class. Um, yeah, I just I just wandered around a little bit. It was definitely a difficult time because I yeah. just I'm I'm a fairly shy person if I don't know people. And so it's not like me to just go to a bar by myself and start conversation with strangers. That was like me so far out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's how I ultimately started meeting people is I wandered in to a business that did online pitching. It was over at Cummins Station. And the lady I was renting from had dropped off some after Christmas pies and I walked in carrying a pie and it reminds me of the scene from Dirty Dancing where like it's like I carried a watermelon like but it was me with like an apple pie and on one sunny day I was so lonely and so bored I was had been there a few weeks I just remember there were young people there so I just drove and I parked and I just wandered into the office and they were like can, can we help you and I was like um I don't know if you remember me, but I dropped off a pie and, uh, and you know, I was doing like this, this little try to get conversation started and I was like, and I just, I don't know anybody and I don't, I don't know how to make friends. And I just started talking like this. And then one girl who we all know, um, Amber Dodson, she was working there and she said she could, I'm sure she felt my awkwardness. And she said, my boyfriend's band's playing at Douglas Corner tonight. You, if you want to come see that. And I was like, I'll be there, you know? And, uh, and then at that, at that show, I ended up meeting Chris Burgeness who offered to walk me up and down music row. And that's kind of just how I started to make some friends and, you know, seven drives back and forth later, I met my first publisher in an elevator uh, in the Barbara Orbison building, Cole Wright met him in an elevator on my way up to a pitch, mm-hmm. a pitch night they were doing, which I was going to for socializing, but also for the free snacks. Mm-hmm. And I was on a pretty tight budget at the time, so a free drink and uh, some snacks kind of were always the, the thing to do when you were a young songwriter back then. <laughs> Still get any free free food <laughs> night. So, anyways, that's that's the that was the the start of of uh, actually being here full time. And I met him on a Monday, and by Friday they offered me my first publishing deal. And wow. then once we signed that, and I got my uh, permit signed, I was I made the official move here at the end of 2002. And I've been here ever since. Yeah, as difficult wow. as it is for people to move to Nashville and, and start a career, it's that much harder for anyone coming internationally, because you yeah. just you can't come here and just get a job working at McDonald's or something. I mean, you're not yeah. allowed to work and earn any money until you have a visa. And in order to get a visa, you have to get somebody to sign you and sponsor you through that process. So uh, there are a lot of stories of people 
saving up money in chunks and going back and forth and just trying to find that 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 sponsor so um yeah, yeah that's Absolutely. that's cool i love that story I, and i love how you were really li- living on your sort of learning edge there like you were really yeah. you put yourself out there in and you said yes to to the scary stuff and it's so cool to see how that pays off and the vulnerability of basically just being an open book about you know mm-hmm. I, I don't know anybody and I because <laughs> I've actually yeah. been there myself too and I was oh, I yeah. thought about that like I found some of my closest girlfriends that way and the conversation was like I'm really lonely and I don't have any friends yeah <laughs> and, you know it's like we we don't do that when we're grown-ups but maybe we should because that's what we do as kids it's like will you be my mm-hmm. friend okay <laughs> maybe it's that easy sometimes right even networking here one of my best friends and one of my first true friends in Nashville. She's an incredible songwriter here, Emma Brooks. She's been on the podcast and um, it took me two or three times because I'm a people person, but it's hard for me to get out just like you Mm -hmm. if I don't know people. And it took me three or four times of running into her out at shows or bars or whatever to realize she was trying to be my friend and not just trying to be nice Mm -hmm. and like strike up a conversation. Um, And that's also something that I think that as we get older, we forget to just kind of like not care about what we think in our head is going on and just go yeah I'll take that opportunity I'll go there I'll go that place Mm -hmm. I'll hang out with you I'll go to that show and now look you have Reba cuts among many others what a full circle there Mm -hmm. Um, oh my goodness start out writing rewriting a Reba song and having a Reba cut amongst these number one plaques on the wall behind you that our listeners can't see, but they are beautiful, yeah. um, including Brett Young's, you know, Sleep Without You and all that stuff. I mean, what an insane jump. Yeah. I met you, Kelly, back at Island Bound when you were signed there. Yep. Was that your second deal? That was my first. That was your first yeah, deal. That oh, was that was first. with Cole. Okay. Yeah, yes. That was with Cole. So, mm-hmm. and then, so how long would you say it was or what was the process like? of um, finding your voice as a songwriter and starting to feel like you were getting some traction? I'll I'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it feels like as a songwriter, for me, it's just perpetual uh, insecurity. Um, I, I feel like, especially now, things are moving so fast that I... I feel like every year there's a slight shift that I got to get with the program. Mm -hmm. I think part of my uh, move here developed, added on to some skills that I already had and makes sense with the way that I write being a a bit of more of a chameleon writer, Mm -hmm. like being able to write with a 16 year old pop girl one day and a really country mature guy the next day and being to be able to get on their wave to sit and talk to them and get that's sort of how my journey in the music business has been it's been like a door kind of slightly ajar and me peeking my head through and going what's going on in this room and how can I what can I bring to the table um that's that's been my journey the whole time Mm -hmm. and because I am a little bit um shy and learned very early on what a germ was <laughs> I was really terrified to be the person asking for too much mm-hmm. so I was okay just kind of being there and being around but not like I, I made it a point that anytime I was around somebody in A&R that 
I only talked about their family, their kids, and their summer vacation plans. Mm -hmm. I never talked music. Mm -hmm. Years and years and years later, probably 15 years in, I had a conversation with a couple A&R people. And I almost think that maybe I can come off aloof because of mm-hmm. me not talking about music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I I might have taken that a step too far. And maybe I things might have moved a little quicker if I was a little bit more assertive on that music side. But... All that being said, everything that's happened, I really can't complain. So maybe things happen exactly the way they're supposed to. Um, but my journey was really, really slow in the in the music bed. It was like a, they were baby steps for sure. Mm-hmm. Early on, I'm sure you remember this too, but like we're in a very different time now. Back when I started, if you were new, you were nobody. Mm-hmm. And you were just hoping to get in the room with someone who had some experience and then you showed up very prepared. Yeah. And now there's been this flip where the newer the tadpole, the more like excitement. And I feel like I'm having to kind of like convince people why I need should be in the room. <laughs> yeah. I relate and with you. Very, I relate with you. <laughs> it's a really weird flip, yes. you know? Yes. That being said, it is the situation. And so, you know, I... I don't go in like saying, you know, please write with me or anything, mm-hmm. but like, I just, I've, I've, uh, I'm a little more forward with what I can bring to the table just right off the bat when we start writing. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of grab the reins. That's something I've, has been a skill that I learned over time, mm-hmm. uh, to just kind of get in and start having the conversation and getting the, cause I, you know, I do kind of know what I'm doing. Um, you don't want to like trample on anybody you want everybody's skills to come out but i'm just saying like getting the ball rolling i've gotten better yeah, i've gotten facilitate it yeah i've gotten better at yeah. that uh in the room but yeah it's been a this real slow journey for mm-hmm. me because i think it's really relevant to what we're going to talk about in a second does grabbing the reins in a session with a female writer versus a male writer or artist um because you mentioned pop as well and all these different things does that look different for you um in how you go about doing that depending on um the gender because in country music we talk a lot about um you know whether or not women can write for men and men can write for women and if we can get that voice authentic etc um and you know, sometimes it, it looks different going about different kinds of sessions. Does grabbing those reins uh, look different for you depending on the session or is it pretty standard? Yeah, I, I mean, again, like this is where the chameleon comes in. I think at a certain point, I'm now a middle-aged woman. I have instincts now that I trust a lot more than I did when I was early on learning. And this is a, a newer, this was something that happened just before I started having my more monetary success mm-hmm. was this kind of like go back to what, to basics that I learned and like right from there for me, that's where I kind of, and this was before I had, just before I had this little run of, of songs actually hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of going back to basics for me and not chasing after anything or letting somebody tell me something I know isn't, like in my gut, isn't cor- like correct. Mm-hmm. That being said, every right is completely different 
You know, there's some people that I write with a lot and I know what to lean on and whatnot, but you kind of gauge the room. I think that's, if you can sit down and be self-aware and pay attention, you know, how many times do we sit in a room and somebody, we're just, no one necessarily has an idea that day Mm -hmm. and you just have a conversation and an idea stems from the conversation if you pay attention, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I just kind of pay attention to like some social cues, who's who's laid back today, who's got an idea, who's excited. You know, if somebody's really excited about something, I'm all ears. Mm-hmm. If we're yeah. just searching for an idea, then let's have a conversation and figure out what we want to say. And like for me, it's never been a matter of uh, writing the one song that changes the world. Mm -hmm. It's been about writing all the songs. (laughs) I want to write all the songs, Mm -hmm. right? Because I grew up in a fairly, uh, listening to fairly commercial radio, and I still probably prefer a lot of popular music. So for me, I wanted to write uh, the fun songs as much as I want to write. Now, I want... I'd. I don't know any writer who doesn't have both of those in their catalog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, which ones get cut? That's not up to me, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I have, like, meaningful songs that have to do with family or losing somebody or a heartache. And then I have songs that were just fun and clever and um, just a well-rounded song or just a great idea that was sort of captured in a room or... Whatever it is, I kind of want, I want all of them in my catalog and I want all of them to get cut, but they don't always all get cut. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. You, it's interesting that you describe yourself as, as a chameleon songwriter. I've used that same word for myself. Um, I think that it's a skill that maybe we learn out of necessity because you're put in situations where quite often as a woman from Canada, you're put in rooms where you're working with people that you don't necessarily relate to on an obvious level. And so you have to learn how to adapt and connect in some way with this person that seems very different from you. And you've really developed that, that skill so well, and that ability to magnify the artist's voice in a way that just lifts them up to a higher level. Um, So I'm, I'm wondering, do you feel like, is your journey different because you're a woman than some of your compatriots that might have come at the same time who are who are men? Have you seen any difference like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, first of all, I think to be I think when you I think a lot, especially lyrical writers, uh, can be, uh, can, can develop that skill a little bit stronger too, because I feel Mm -hmm. like we're just kind of built in listeners. Like sometimes people think I'm completely spaced out. (laughs) I know if people have accused me of like looking directly at them and nodding, like I'm listening (laughs) But that my lips, but that my lips were moving (laughs) and I, and I'm like, the problem is, is that you're talking to me and I'm taking it in and I'm turning it into something. So like, Mm -hmm. 
I'm not spaced out and like making a, my grocery list. I'm literally taking all these morsels that everyone's talking about because I'm listening really, really hard. And then I can also tend to talk at length. Don't ask me where I got a sweater because it, uh, it'll go back to <laughs> the, how the weather was that day and what I ate for lunch. Like it'll, it'll be the long route there, but I'm kind of detail oriented in that way, which is also my Enneagram one. As far as the male female thing, that's being a Canadian. I always joke around and say, nothing says country music like a middle-aged woman from Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But the truth is, is that because I did grow up, uh, you know, my first taste of music was country music. I grew up in a country cabaret with my dad playing in bands. Now, mind you, he played like rock and country but like, I, I mean, literally my, I would sing the gambler at family dues, you know? Mm-hmm. So I grew up, but then I also listened to a ton of R&B and was a big Whitney Houston fan. And then my brother did hip hop and my cousin did punk music. And so I had all these different influences. But as far as being in the room as a female, you know, as you had mentioned, Sarah, too, like out of necessity, like there was a period of time a few years in where there was not a lot of females to write for. And I was on a work permit. I had to keep my publishing deal. So out of necessity, I started trying to figure out how to write for men and be authentic. And my perspective of that was that I grew up in the 80s and 90s where all the good romantic comedies are. Yes. I, like... I'm so well-versed on uh, every, every, you know, romantic comedy there is out there. And I decided to go, what what would I want to hear? So mm-hmm. often if I'm in a room with guys and they throw out a line that I'm like, no. You know, my <laughs> I go, no girl wants to hear that. No girl mm-hmm. wants to hear that. So then I started paying attention to guys that I admire you know, as writers. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew up listening to Tim McGraw and George Strait as much as I did Faith and Martina and Shania and the Dixie Chicks. So, and the Dixie Chicks, for example, would cut Daryl Scott songs and not even change the, change it to the girl language. The pronoun, yeah. Mm -hmm. The pronoun, right? So, I, I paid attention to all of that. So, like, taking all of that in, I felt like, over time, I mean, my, I'm sure there's, I definitely get the, a guy would never say that every once in a while. Um, usually I have to say, yes, they would. But, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, there's been some battles and, and, I, and I have to, there's, there's zero doubt that it's more difficult for females to stay afloat in such a male-dominated chart as country music. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's been a challenge mm-hmm. um yeah. but you know but again trucking along and taking taking in all these morsels developed into a skill that i that i now have and that people actually come looking for you know ask yeah. for yeah. just specifically for me you know i remember a few years ago right before you started having your major success you did a thing where you were like, this is going to be my year. 
the year of Kelly. Oh yeah. The year Can of you Kelly. talk about that a little bit? Like what, what changed <laughs> sure. in your mindset that do, do you look back and notice a switched in things from that moment that you decided that? Yeah. And I mean, some of this is going to just be coming with age, mm-hmm. you know, where you just get too old for that. You know what I mean? You get too old for some of these insecurities and the, 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 the negative talk you have in your own head, you know, all those insecurities, like, lying to you in your brain and you know then you start listening to some Oprah Super Soul podcasts and having conversations with your friends and everybody is going through these growth spurts and you realize how short of time that it, it you know that you have so mm-hmm. like no need to be so hard on yourself no need to not trust yourself all of that stuff but I actually I was just leaving my fourth publishing deal I had been doing pretty well but girls, this is one thing. I don't think women get a lot of time to establish themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, pe- there, are, there are guys that I know that have been at the same publisher for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And my first three publishing deals were, I got dropped after two years, two years, two years. Yeah. My fourth mm-hmm. publishing deal, I did stay four years. But even with a, a decent amount of success there, lots of cuts, Nashville show, uh, a top 15 single, I still got dropped in my, when before my deal was up. Mm-hmm. And I was really frustrated because that period of time was a, was a little bit part of the bro movement, which I don't, ha- I don't hate the bro movement. I think there are people that do that extremely well and were very mm-hmm. fresh at the time. There were also a group of copycats that didn't do it as well. Mm-hmm. And that was getting a bit frustrating, but I did feel like there was this period of time where to be in a room as a female writer was very hard. It was a kind of a club that you were trying to fit in. And I felt like I was always trying to chase after something and kind of prove myself. And I was out of this fourth deal and I was kind of contemplating whether even if I wrote the best songs of my life, would they even get heard? Mm-hmm. Is anyone even listening to songs anymore? And to be this far from family, I started to kind of question whether that trade-off was good or not. So I started thinking about moving home. And I had a lunch with Jody Williams uh, from BMI. And he and I had we weren't didn't have a close relationship, but it was one of those from afar admiration things. And then when we had lunch, it was like, I've been watching you. And I'm like, well, I've been watching you. And it's like, no, I've been watching you. (laughs) And we had a a breakfast at Nashville over in Midtown. And he said, look, I see you. A lot of your peers bloomed before you. Mm -hmm. And you've been trying to play catch up ever since. But if you stop and look at the people around you now, they're a little bit newer. You've been here longer, but you guys have landed at the same place. This is the next group. You guys are the next group. Like, so don't worry about reaching for that. And that had a huge impact on my mm-hmm. mindset. And I've told Jody that a couple of times. Um, and I said, okay, that makes really good sense. And then Jeremy Stover, who I had known since I moved to town, was starting a publishing company. And he said... I just don't think you're in the right rooms. I just, but I know, I know you have like, I don't think your talent has been exhausted here. So Mm -hmm. let's, you know, try this with me. 
and we partnered with Steve Marklin, who is just such a champion for songwriters and the creative process and in a very genuine, good, comforting way. Um, so it was a really good partnership because Jeremy understood the commercial side that I strive for. Um, and he appreciated like lyrics and writing the craft of a song because we kind of grew up in the town together. And then Steve was such an encouraging cr- for the creative side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I started this deal and I was like, well, here's the deal. I'll give you guys 18 months. And then, you know, a couple year options. But I was like, if I'm not doing anything, let's just call this in 18 months. <laughs> um, and I said, and I'm going back to writing the way I know how to write. And I'm not chasing any of these young fools who act like they're too good for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, young, talented people, I'll spend all day with. Yeah. But there was a little bit of a, a, of a arrogant trend going on where they were almost disappointed when I walked in the room. Oh, what? You know, mm-hmm. and I said, I'm not doing that anymore. So I started doing that. And then this happened very quickly. <laughs> I just started writing and having fun with it again, like enjoying mm-hmm. the process of writing a song, you know, finding an idea and in, a, you know, a handful of hours, making it a complete song became fun again. And then luckily a few, you know, I lucked out and a few things really hit back to back. You can hear it in the songs. And I, I'm so glad you asked that question, Vic. And because one of the things I wanted to touch on was how for me as a young songwriter, um, Brett Young, Sleep Without You and like a class of, of those similar, but really Sleep Without You was the first song that I had heard in a long time as a young girl who loved music and had worked in the music industry for a couple of years when that came out was the first time I'd heard a song in a while where I was like I don't feel objectified I don't feel belittled I don't feel Mm -hmm. like someone thinks I'm stupid or is just a little (laughs) trophy like it felt like something tangible it felt like a song for for me and something that I would want my boyfriend to think and sing about in regards to me and it felt so refreshing and I think you can hear audiences especially people who aren't in the music industry they don't know why something hits why it lands why it feels right but us as the creators and the people in the industry you can feel the energy behind something when the writers and the creators feel at home when they feel heard and understood when everything just kind of like aligns. Um, and I would love to hear more about your, um, like since you, when you started that and all of these hits kind of came in because you only decided to do what worked for you and found your genuine champions. Like what does that look like in terms of being able to, create with people who see your talent and also want to write above the mark of just being copycats because one of the questions that we uh, answered in our previous episodes was one from a fan who was amazing and he said I'm an artist and when women pitch songs to me oftentimes they think that I don't want to sing about being vulnerable that I don't want to sing about being in love that I don't want to sing about tough things and so they pitch me 
um, oftentimes very surface level bro country things. And we had the discussion about, you know, it's a little bit of a chicken or the egg because the interest industry tells you that, you know, that's what sells. And so you've got to redo that and women have a hard time. And so, you know, sometimes they may have been told just to pitch what is probably going to sell. Um, and then you have the flip side. So I'm really curious to hear what your experience was writing those songs and being able to really bring an authentic voice to the room, even as, you know, a woman in the room when people may have discounted your ability to do that. Well, thanks. The the Sleep Without You, I, I've heard what you just said from a couple different uh, women that have actually like texted me privately and just been like, mm-hmm. I haven't heard that exact approach. And I, that's, this is where people like, uh, outside of our industry, if they only knew the amount of like everything lining up right (laughs) for a song to really like happen (laughs) and, and be, and be a song that you're excited and that gets people excited for whatever reason. That day, my friend Ronna Reeves kept telling me about Brett and how good he was. And I was at a stage where I was, they were just, I was overloaded in my account. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll listen, to, I'll listen and I'll get back to you. I'll listen. And she kept pushing, thank goodness. Um, and we finally got a day on the books and we got, I had just started writing with Justin Ebock and Justin and I are very similar in, in uh, the fact that we both like commercial sounding music too and we both love melody and so he and I work really well together um and then Brett comes in and he actually was like hey I have this idea and he told a story about how his dad was he had talked to his dad and his parents had been married for a certain period of time like 30 40 years something like that and that his dad said that his mom was out of town visiting her sister or something, um, or friend, and that he was having a hard time sleeping without mm. her. And what if we wrote that song, but like, because he had been in a long-term relationship, so he was like, if you're in a long-term relationship, it's like, you feel that way too, so maybe we'll write like a little bit younger version of that idea. And my, <laughs> I think my exact words were like, uh, you mean, uh, mature relationship I was like that's like I was like are you kidding me yes we can write that because I felt the same way you just said like I was like that's what I want to hear I want to hear that you've gotten so used to me being there that you I I can run with that I mean we ran with that idea and just started going we wrote that song very quickly like we wrote it within a couple of hours then we literally left uh, we were writing over at the Word Building, and Justin had a studio uh, over at the Warner Building, so we w- went over and recorded it right away. And I got the demo back that evening, and texted, "I may or may not have danced around in my kitchen several times to this song already," you know. And then we got the single kind of quickly, and that was the one that really like. But if you didn't have somebody with the, the unique voice that Brett has. Mm-hmm. And Brett also was not, I mean, not to say he's not young because he's a lot younger than me, <laughs> but like he was, you know, a, a guy that had been in a long-term relationship that mm-hmm. had a good relationship with his parents that was in his thirties, not 
his early 20s. So like all of that, then you've got Big Machine and, and their, their radio team that really like worked this song hard. And you have Justin's demo and then you've got Dan Huff getting involved. And it was just like all of this just equaled this amazing experience. But the, the issue that I have like every once in a while, I get a very challenging guy in the room who tells mm-hmm. me a girl or a guy wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. And then I have to start pulling out every example of who does say that. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of mainstream, long time successful, many records in guys, and they all say it. They all talk about love. They all talk about heartbreak. They all give credit to, uh, you know, the really long-term artists, whether it be anyone mm-hmm. from a McGraw, yeah. but like even like go back to Garth Brooks and how professed, like I feel like what's missing a little bit in I'd like to add everyone like as much as I can is a little bit of cheese, yeah. you know? <laughs> you know, yeah. we're all suckers for like, if you like watch, uh, you know, we're all suckers for the videos on Facebook where like the soldiers are coming home and they're mm-hmm. surprising their kids mm-hmm. or a dog gets rescued or feel the dreams or Rudy, mm-hmm. the football movie or like a romantic comedy. Like we're all kind of suckers for that mm-hmm. because we all live a pretty, you know, the world can be a chaotic place and we're all a bit of a suck for that. So I feel like music can be that kind of escape. So, I always use this example, but one of Eric, Eric Church's, you know, unarguably an artist artist, you know, like Mm -hmm. he's got a fan base, he's authentic, he's super cool, he writes great songs, all of that. One of his biggest songs is Springsteen. If you break down Springsteen, that chorus, Mm -hmm. What I and you compare it to a Taylor Swift song, <laughs> the melody. Now, I'm not saying there it sounds like a Taylor Swift song, but if, if you can hear in your head, if you sang that chorus with Taylor Swift in mind, you'd understand why both of them have a really strong fan base. Like mm-hmm. it's melodic, and like you know, he's singing about his old Jeep and stars in the sky. If I some guys, if I were to say stars in the sky, in yeah, a right, they they'd be like, yeah. no yeah. guy would say stars. No would say and I'd be yeah. like, well, Eric yeah. Church does, and he's pretty cool. So mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. maybe you, you know, maybe you open your mind a little bit because a lot of this stuff, you know, just like, just like a bachelor's apartment could use a woman's touch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love your your perspective on on all of this it's so interesting and i mean i don't know obviously people out there don't get the opportunity to hear you sing kelly but mm-hmm. kelly's voice is absolutely incredible like it's oh, you have you could easily hold down your own record so did you ever have aspirations of being an artist yourself or were you always wanting to be the songwriter you know, uh, when I first came to town, because I did, you know, I when I did theater, I did, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I did musical theater and played, you know, the lead in Little Abner, and I sang. Mm-hmm. I and my choices were really to go, either go to New York and do theater, mm-hmm. or come to Nashville and try this country music songwriting. 
I think at the time that I came, I did showcase for a little while. I played uh, a bunch of shows at all the places, the old Third and Lindsley and the, mm-hmm. the, the Sutler. And, you know, I felt like I had some traction. I also did a duet, or not duet, a duo with my friend Vanessa. Um, we, were a band, we were a duo called Gemini James. We went in and recorded with Chris Lindsay a few songs. Um, but ultimately, I didn't feel... It just, it wasn't coming together the way I felt enough to pursue it. I felt really comfortable in the writing room. I just made kind of the decision to go that way. And honestly, maybe if I had come five years earlier where there was a lot more females and it was maybe a different track, maybe things would be different, but I'm not upset about it. I can't say like living on a bus is... If it was a matter of just showing up and performing, yeah, I, I, I might have been more up for it. But yeah, mm-hmm. but no, I I do enjoy playing songwriter shows though. Okay? Like I yeah. really, really, really enjoy. Um, I enjoy the people, like the crowd that's there, mm-hmm. listening intently and wants to hear the story behind it. Like that's a, a little bit more my vibe anyway. So I've been really lucky that. I've had lots of opportunities and work so uh, closely with like the Bluebird. They've been so wonderful, especially a place, the one place that I would go and hide out in the corner and just learn to <laughs> yes. songwriting when I didn't really know a lot of people like to now kind of just be so welcomed all the time there. That's just yeah. been amazing. I did want to mention, yeah, just going back to the last question is that, even with all the struggles uh, as a female that I've had, I have been really, really lucky to have a pretty big group of guys in different forms, from publishers to writers to producers, that have always seen the value of uh, yeah. women in, in a room. And and I want to give credit to them as well, Um because it has been an important part of the journey too. It's just that you you rarely get in a room with young girls and they're not and they're pushing back as hard as some of the young guys mm-hmm. do against, you know, a female being in the room. That being said, I was talking to a friend of mine uh in LA and he told me that he won't do a write unless there's a woman in the room. Like oh, wow. he told his publisher that there has to be a female in the room because he was he was he valued it so much. He's like, there's not a woman that I work with that doesn't bring a lot to the table. And I was really, really impressed by that perspective uh, from him. Um, Do you ever feel um, lonely in the fact that you are probably one of the only women who has been <laughs> in Nashville for as long as you have and doing what you're doing and successfully blazing the trail where you are right now. Are there other women that you relate to that are doing what you're doing? I mean, I can't think of anyone else who, who kind of has been here as long as you have doing this. I will say the only lonely part is that a lot of the women that I like have been around that are killing it that are just still doing really really well they they have an artist side to them that they've also pursued Mm -hmm. so like 
you know, and they're incredible, you know, like Heather Morgan and, and, um, yeah, Sarah Buxton yes. and Natalie Hemby and, and, you know, a bunch of, and they have a different outlet mm-hmm. for that, that maybe I, I haven't pursued, but I mean, I just think being far away from home, I mean, I have, I have a family away from family as far as like friends go. I have a lot mm-hmm. of, I, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of women on the business side, mm-hmm. right? So people that are running publishing companies, record labels, I have those friends as well uh, that I just think that like anything, I think after a while you want to figure out uh, where your role is in mm-hmm. it, you know, mm-hmm. and how do you keep enjoying something? <laughs> I think like anything, <laughs> how do you keep enjoying it and finding you know, and for me right now, uh, I'm desperately trying to not write so much <laughs> and live a little bit more. That's been the hardest part for me yeah. is that keeping my head down, especially, you know, the first 10 years, I had to keep my publishing deal to stay in the country. Mm-hmm. So I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. Then I got my green card where, like, if I lost a deal, I could go get a job, but I still was supporting myself in another country far away from home and I had bought a house and so it just never feels like you're you know 20 years into a career you should have a certain amount of like comfortable security security. (laughs) and you know that being said I've been super lucky in the last five years it's a new comfort of being able to you know I just sold my first catalog and did a go forward deal just at Christmas here and was able Congratulations. to Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And so I'm super grateful for that and I feel like it's a bit of a reset. Mm-hmm. So now there's there is a little bit more freedom because I have a a publishing deal now for the next two and a half years that uh you know, I got paid in advance. Mm-hmm. So I could go travel the world if I want to and mm-hmm. like still yeah. manage to do enough. So I'm trying to incorporate a little bit of life. Uh, so I have more to write about, but I'm also trying to not overwrite cause it's as far as writing for outside cuts, it's a very different world, right? Mm-hmm. So now you're in the room with the artist, but writing for outside, if I ever get the opportunity, which is some of my favorite days is to just write with other writers Mm-hmm. and attack and really work on an idea but then the production yeah because it's all changing you yeah. used to be able to write a song and pitch it to a lot of different people and mm-hmm. now it's like well if we're pitching it to this we got to go this way produce it this way wide. or produce it that way yeah, yeah. and so mm-hmm. one thing that i've done that has been a little bit fun for me is writing the same idea multiple times with the same people hmm so I did a one project with a young guy where we wrote the same title three different ways, like three oh. completely different perspectives on the same thing. And we brought in different writers for each perspective. So it was me and him. And then we brought in a couple writers on different versions of it. And I just had this experience uh, last week where we were writing an idea and we went very uh, in a specific direction with it. And I was like, this idea is so simply good, like good, and also like not 
not crazy, but just like a, a good yeah. little idea. I was like, man, we should, over the next like month or so, we should get back together a couple times and write this with a different melody and phrasing mm-hmm. underneath it. Because we could use some, a lot of the same lyric. Mm-hmm. And if the three of us keep writing the same song, then we're not real, you know, we're not plagiarizing ourselves. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, well, why don't we write this with a, a different groove or a different vibe a couple of times and then pitch all of them depending mm-hmm. on who we're pitching to. And again, this is a whole shift of like the chameleon side. It's like, well, you know, I don't want to write a song that only sounds like Jason Aldean and then not be able to pitch it to Blake Shelton. So, well, why don't we just yeah. change the melody up mm. so that we can use the same lyric or the same idea? So that's a little, you know. That shows your mastery, too, of what you're yeah. doing, where you're able to detect and identify what works for one artist that might not work for another and uh so that takes a lot of years of experience to get an ear that's discerning enough to tell the difference between Mm -hmm. you know what would tim mcgraw cut as opposed to what would jason aldean cut in in the in the pure song form so yeah and again it's a little bit out of necessity yeah right so it's like some of that stuff is like it forces you to be well what are you gonna do now Mm -hmm. okay well Let's write it three times with three different melodies. We don't have to even change the lyrics. Let's change a complete groove. It sounds like um, what you mentioned at the very start of this, um, trying to, you know, always make sure you're up to date and every year feeling like you have to push to adjust to whatever's going on. It feels exactly like that in the best way. And um, it makes me so excited to see what the next five years of your career will be because to me selfishly when you were talking about being an artist and you know maybe if xyz had happened it would have worked out that way um and in my head i was like selfishly i'm really glad it didn't because (laughs) some of my favorite songs that made me believe in country music again and believe that i identify with that Mm -hmm. maybe there is a place for me and so um it what you were talking about just makes me feel like my every time I look at someone who's been in the industry 20, 30, 40 years, I've written with people well into their 60s and they are far more up to date on what is going on than people in their 30s or even people my age, especially with how fast things are moving. So it makes me really excited to see what that new tactic. Yeah. Adaptation, man. She's got it yeah. figured out. It also means that it also means that you are not as burnt out, which means that the songs are going to be better, and you're just finding different formulas that work. So that's really exciting for me as a listener to get to be like, I can't wait to see what happens with yeah. this. Yeah. Well, I I hope it's. I mean, you know what's interesting is that the again the side of necessity that makes you shift is something that goes far outside of writing songs you know Mm -hmm. life life hands you an issue a problem a situation your relationships outside you know it's just we're constantly doing that so to to be stubborn about music is would be silly you know what i mean because it's also not real you know um so i mean i just think that that's kind of important but it's it's interesting because you know other people do i have some friends who work in sync and they do pop and they do all this stuff and a lot of people that write in a stream of consciousness form 
that I, I don't want to say I'm jealous of, but I really do appreciate that people can do that because I can't. I, my, I have to like. You're a crafter. I, I craft and like I, I want, I like write it like a little three minute screenplay a little bit mm-hmm. and how it all Story comes life. together. And then I like to go back and edit and mm-hmm. like make sure there aren't any loose threads. Now, without sucking the life out of a song, obviously, it doesn't have to be perfect as far as, uh, you know, I love a good crack in a vocal and a <laughs> emotional moment oh, yeah. wrapped in. But like, you know, that's kind of what makes music amazing mm-hmm. is like the the different what mu- music is so subjective when people start throwing around what good music is and bad music is i'm like i don't know man <laughs> i was i was bopping along to some bobby brown my prerogative <laughs> and 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 you know country boys and girls getting down on the farm and boot scoot and boogie just having a good time. I wasn't yeah. so, you know. And then there were also songs, which sometimes were the album cuts that spoke to me as a individual, go a young girl going through a heartbreak or something, you know. Yeah. So there's just kind of room for all of it. But I just, um, but I really do, um, I feel like it, it keeps things interesting mm-hmm. to find a, a oh, solution yeah. Yeah. but my again my motto is just for anybody out there listening is is pay attention I feel like I just like anything if you go to a see a show and you pay attention whether it's music vibe anything you're usually going to jot some ideas down in your phone if you're at a live show yeah. if you're a songwriter right Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it comes from a conversation. Sometimes it comes from a movie that you watched and, and definitely comes from in the room. But if I start paying attention to the fact that this person has really, really got good sensibilities with this musicality stuff that I don't, I'm not very good at, I am not going to, I'm not going to try and steer that ship. I'm going to be like, keep doing that. That was mm-hmm. really cool. You, yeah. you, you mm-hmm. take that and I'll figure something else over here that I can do a little bit, you know? I love how your all the aspects of your personality and your upbringing have sort of worked together to mm-hmm. give you what you need to do what you're doing in this beautiful way. Uh, it's just really fascinating to me to, to hear that all put together and to see how you're contributing to country music. And, and um, that's pretty cool. I don't know that very many other people could do what you're doing because you have to have yeah. the right combination of skills and um and just personality traits to make it to make it work it's interesting to me I I uh I grew up work I had a lot of jobs Mm -hmm. I started working when I was like 14 at a tanning salon and then I had jobs and when I say I had jobs I mean I had jobs for long periods of time and they always overlapped. I usually had two jobs going, but I waitressed for 8 years and I worked at a toy store for 2 years and I worked at United Colors of Benetton in the mall for 2 years and I worked um in a warehouse and I temped as a secretary and I unloaded boxes in a um I packaged honey. I made deliveries. I mean I had so many jobs before I even started pursuing music at 25. I didn't mm-hmm. start till I was 25 really pursuing like as in driving here. I was 25. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I had a lot of jobs, and I have to say, at all those jobs, I was extremely annoying to <laughs> other young people <laughs> because I had this get the job done and do it well if you're going to be here. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember when I was expediting food at the Red Robin. And somebody would put up a plate of nachos and the cheese was not covering all the chips. I was like, would you want to eat these chips? These people are spending their hard-earned money on these nachos. You need to make the nachos the way you were taught to do the nachos. And they'd be like, I was the most annoying person to be around because of that. But I now take that a little bit into the writing room. And it actually, as you get older. Well, you develop more diplomacy with it too. Yeah. Well, that's where details, yes. it's like details, details come into play. You yes. Know? And, and I do care. I care that people are enjoying themselves. I mm-hmm. care that people mm-hmm. are, in, like my co-writers, my, I, I want my publishers to feel like I'm bringing, that, that I'm a good investment. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. want people out there to hear something that's, you know, you know going to hit them in a certain way, whether it's fun or heartbreak or whatever it is. Um, I do care about all of that. It's, I feel like it's all in the details of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it did go it did go farther back than music. <laughs> I love that you brought that up because I am the same way. I grew up, my parents owned a restaurant and they were never my boss. I started as a bus girl, always had two, three jobs, even throughout college. Um, and when I moved to Nashville and waitressed and bartended, I was like, oh, I'm the only one who cares too much about what's right. going on here like too much to the point where people are like you need to calm down and stop yeah, rel- like, no, I know, yeah. The relax. Yeah, people are spending their money i care about this but it translates to songwriting and it, i do notice every now and then that if i'm a little too nitpicky on a demo or something i can sense a little annoyance but then without fail if i don't do it obviously in a respectful way but if i don't do it and i hold myself back for fear of seeming a little too mm-hmm. nitpicky inevitably the publisher or the artist or someone else will be like, Hey, can you just change you this fix one that? thing? And then, and I, yeah. every time I'm like, damn it. Yep, so it, it is exactly what your life is exactly what it needed to be to get you yeah. here and have, you have a 20 plus year successful career and put you exactly in the spot that you needed to be to, be one of the only women in the room at a time where it was mostly just men and mm-hmm. be successful at that when you didn't have an artist project as well or something like that. And that is so fascinating. I wish we could talk for hours and hours. We got to get onto our, we got to do our rapid fires. Let's start with, with our rapid fire questions. If you could ask God, the universe, higher power, whatever you want to call it, your, your higher self, a question what would it be? Oh, I mean, I feel like that would be a question I would want to ask almost daily (laughs) is like, am I where I'm supposed to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause sometimes it feels like the is, you know, especially as you get older, like is writing songs enough? Should I be doing more? Mm -hmm. I do think that, um, I feel like I have way too many questions, but that's the first one that came to <laughs> mind in this conversation. <laughs> All right, number two. If you could clone yourself and live a totally different life, what would the other you want to be and do? Um, I actually talk about this all the time. Um, 
You know, I, this is going to sound like a really funny answer, uh, but I feel like if I had just gone to another city and gotten a, like a regular job, like what would I be as a nine to five? Hmm. Uh, I think one of the things like for me would be that I would be a mother because I'm not, I mean, I am to my, my two little buddies, my cat and my dog, my dog now has passed away, but, um, but I feel like that's a different life and that, mm-hmm. and that, that life was very different for me by moving here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that could be really anywhere. I mean, there's a little bit of me that, that would be back home with my family, um, mm-hmm. like seeing them every weekend you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like the way I grew up, yeah. I think. Yeah, but totally. really quickly on that story is I always tell pe- like people that if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't go to college. But from the time I was like out of high school, like 19 till at least 30, I would go live in a different city for a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I till where I knew where I felt part of the heartbeat of the city, like mm-hmm. New York, Paris, London, Lisbon, like just really experience all the culture and I would have done that and then start worried about work way later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like working more than just surviving. You know what I mean? But like actually finding something to do, I would have done that, you know, later in life. Okay, let's see. Question number three. What's one thing that people don't know about you? I feel like people might not know that I'm bilingual, that I speak French. Mm. Yeah. So I grew up, uh, my mom's French-Canadian. My grandparents are from, they're all from Quebec. So I grew up in French immersion, graduated in French. So a lot of people in the country music industry are a little surprised by that sometimes. (laughs) Have you ever used that in music in any way? No, I really would love to do a French project of like little, like a yeah. like for sync, like do a Parisian project of some kind. I've I've talked about it over the years, just have mm-hmm. never gotten to it. But um, no, I usually just try and teach my guy co-writers something really lovely to say to their wives <laughs> in French. That's great. Just to fill some time, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Um, question four. What is your favorite thing about yourself? Oh, <laughs> Enneagram ones are pretty self-critical. So let's, uh, let's get to a good place. Um, I think one of my personal favorites is that I'm quick witted. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm a pretty yeah. funny, quick witted person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably what I get a kick out of myself about. I think others, have made me feel like uh just because I do pay attention and listen I do care uh I care a lot which uh you know I think is a good quality to have in the world just to really care about people um I guess yeah Yeah. that's this is the most uncomfortable question for me (laughs) (laughs) let's go to our last question so what advice would you give the younger you if you could go back in time and visit yourself I mean it's so hard at this age I would go back and tell myself to you know not take things as personally Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's held me back I think 
some I think for anybody um I have a cousin who uh does a little some life coaching my cousin Christina and she she puts it so beautifully when she, her when she talks about living outward uh, inward out versus outward in mm-hmm. so instead of reacting to outside influence all the time actually finding like trusting yourself a little bit more and like just living from that space and not you know mm-hmm. i think criticism yeah. is something but the thing that i the younger me that i i wish i could really just tell her is that is to stay hopeful because i just think there was a period of time like th- when i think about younger me she was the most eternal optimist happy hopeful person and i think that she got lost a little bit in some of life which i think happens to a lot of people mm-hmm. and now i keep wanting to like touch base with her again mm-hmm. a little bit you know and mm-hmm. i i don't know how you do that exactly as an adult but i think that's something that's super important is to let her know that like when it starts to look really bad to just hold on a little bit through it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing with us today, Kelly. It was really great to hear you talk. We could have just like kept going for hours because you're fascinating yeah. to, to talk with. I'm glad you guys are doing this. I, I, I really think it's, I think women's perspective in anything is insightful, but uh, in the music business, I do think that we have a different journey uh, as, as mm-hmm. women. And uh, so I appreciate you guys doing this and having me on. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on... The The table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop you.